This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan. I'm joined today by the full crew, David, Brady, and Taylor, coming at you this week with some basketball talk after all these COVID-19 postponements, cancellations, and all that fun stuff. We're also going to touch on the National Signing Day for football, and at the end, finishing up with a top five question bonanza. But up first, after two consecutive weeks of postponed games, missing both the South Alabama and Appalachian State Series at home, the Panthers will be back in action Tuesday, February 9th at 2 p.m. with an afternoon makeup game in the sports arena versus the South Alabama Jaguars. Gentlemen, after everything this team has encountered over the past month of conference play, missing seven games and only having played five to their credit, what are the implications of this game getting rescheduled and how do we think the Panthers and the Jaguars are going to face off on the court? I mean, the first thing to say is it is a good thing that this game is happening. Uh, We had question marks about if the series against Southern was going to happen. And we had some question marks about, you know, everything we've just been so conditioned to this cycle of just games going away and all. And so getting a game added back to the schedule and earlier than we thought would happen is just to start. That's a positive. You definitely didn't want them to have, you know, three weeks off and then playing Georgia Southern super cold. So obviously it would be nice if they could come out and get some practices in and win against South Alabama on Tuesday. But any basketball is good basketball at this point and just getting guys legs underneath them, you know, making sure that everybody's healthy and, you know, game ready because, you know, the schedule is not going to get any easier. So, you know, play the games that you've got when you've got them. Yeah. And I think just from the feel of everything, it seems different, you know, the announcement came down on Thursday, uh, which is now, if I can do math, five days before the game is actually going to happen, rather than when we got have gotten news that, you know, when the Coastal game happened, I think we got news two days before the game was actually scheduled. So I think that was the one day of practice they got was the day in between the announcement and the actual game happening. So the fact that this has been announced so early tells me that there's going to be more time to prepare instead of just kind of going in cold. So we'll see. Obviously there were positives when the program, so we don't necessarily know who is affected and what that's going to mean for them being back. Cause um, you know, Kane Williams didn't play against coastal in that first game when the team did come back. So this time we don't know any of that. We presume that enough guys are going to be ready because otherwise they wouldn't have, brought the game on they would have kept it canceled so my assume my assumption is that it's going to be at least somewhat close to full strength uh, enough that they can play a game and uh, it's an interesting south Alabama team uh it's the team that last year if the tournament had gone ahead they would have gotten my money for who was going to win because they were on a roll they had a lot of senior leaders and a lot of the bulk of that team left and the guy who came in for them, who has been the best player in the Sun Belt this year, has been Michael Flowers, who came in from Western Michigan. He's currently averaging just over 22 points a game. He's shooting 43% from three. And he's one of those guys, he's a little bit like Corey, where he can cut it loose always. He is always comfortable taking a shot, but even more so because he's taken 253 shots so far in 17 games and 134 threes already. I, the guy has a green light automatically. And so my first thought going to this game is it's a big test for a defense that won't have played against live guys in weeks. Yeah. How they defend flowers is definitely going to be something to watch, especially because when they they're in their last action, we saw them against coastal and um, app state and the guards for both coastal and app state just torched Georgia state. Um, I don't know if it's a, you know, a, a wonky COVID thing. I don't know if it was just kind of the offense that both of those teams were running, but the we you know we always talk about it year over year that the teams that end up doing better 
both at the end of the season and, you know, can pull off upsets in the NCAA tournament. It always comes down to having, you know, that one special guard that can just take over a game. And so far through, you know, 17 games, 18 games for South Alabama, Michael Flowers has been that exact person. And, you know, as you said, he's doing it from a variety of different spots on the floor. Um, And that's definitely something that Georgia State is going to need to key in on, especially since they have shown a little bit more of a willingness to play zone defense. I think it'll be important for them when they're not doing that to still be able to disrupt some timing with him and others on the South Alabama team. You know, I mean, Flowers might get all the headlines, you know, but, you know, they've got other good forwards on their teams. You know, Justin Keo Gonzalez, you know, both of them are averaging a little over six rebounds a game. And, you know, that might not be as prolific as Georgia State has been, you know, but rebounding is obviously something that's going to be important, especially uh, after that state series where rebounds kind of let them get a lot more open shots, you know, and so it's definitely going to be important to watch how Georgia State comes out defensively and mitigates this Jaguars team. And now let's kick off discussion for this week's Tools of the Game segment, which, of course, is our weekly segment where we break down the week's matchup to reveal our thoughts about what both the Panthers and their opponents will need to do to win the game. This week's opponent, the South Alabama Jaguars. Tools of the Game is brought to you by Crawford Tool. The folks at Crawford Tool have been Panther Athletic Club members and football season ticket holders since 2010. And now Thursday night podcast listeners can enjoy 10% off Crawford Tool's entire catalog of quality hand tools, toolkits, and supplies with code THURS at checkout. That's code THURS, T-H-E-R-S. Thursday night does get a percentage of all eligible purchases, so if you want to pick up some great tools at even better prices and help support our efforts along the way, visit www.crawfordtool.com and use code THURS at checkout. Thanks, Crawford Tool, for supporting the podcast. So yeah, as far as tools to this game, I think it's going to come down to guarding the perimeter. And I, you know, we mentioned flowers, but Gonzalez also shoots over 40%. As a team, they just barely shoot under 40% from three at time of recording. And so App State had that stretch in the first game where they just couldn't miss, but App wasn't this good of a shooting team on paper. And so it would worry me if the defense that's letting up the looks that App was getting is giving them up to a better team. I mean the past couple of years when Georgia state's played teams and been on that, the other side of it and have been the team that, you know, that if you leave them open from three, it's going to be trouble. I felt good. If, if I went into a game thinking it was a team that might struggle defending the perimeter against them. And this looks like a South Alabama team that flowers is the ringleader, so to speak, but it's really a, a whole, you know, at any point there'll be two or three guys on the court that you just can't leave open on the perimeter. And for a team that's going to be rusty coming off of the time that Georgia state's had off, those rotations are going to be important and just being alert and being locked in on defense. And I think South Alabama has got guys that can hurt you inside too, but I think where it will manifest the most in this game will be in on the perimeter because the other factor in this game that might continue to be a factor if Georgia state continues to make up games, a game at a time at the beginning of the week, this isn't like the other sets of games that Georgia state or South Alabama will have played where you're playing the same team back to back games. So each team can kind of go in with a game plan. They can, you know, play their greatest hits and not worry about what looks they're going to have shown to Georgia state or South Alabama, vice versa until the next time they play, which you know, might not be until the tournament. So it's going to be back to something of a normal game for the two teams. I, I agree absolutely with the, you know, how with perimeter defense being a tool. Um, I think one thing that I will be looking forward to specifically um, is the turnovers that Georgia state commits. Um, now, obviously they haven't played in three weeks, so I will you know, you can give them a little bit of a leeway in terms of, you know, passes not being as crisp as they otherwise would be. Um, but one thing I want to make sure sh- I want to see is how, cr- you know, how 
how much of the turnovers that Georgia State commits are, you know, South Alabama getting in passing lanes or is it just sloppy basketball? A lot of the turnovers from the App State weekend were just sloppy basketball and, you know, Georgia State basketball players just staring, you know, they're target in the face and App State jumped those passing lanes. You know, anybody could see that those passes were coming. Um you know, in the beginning of the season, Georgia State was a really good team that limited the turnovers that they committed. And, you know, you have to go back until you have to go all the way back to the Charleston game for their last game under 10 turnovers. Now, obviously, they've only played five games since then. So, you know, we're not talking about the most wide sample size, you know, but these Rob Lanier Georgia State teams are not teams that are just super careless with the ball, you know, and that has definitely been something that has, while it hasn't been the biggest issue in the time in the last, you know, they're what three, two and three in their last five games, that hasn't been the biggest issue in these last five games. It definitely is something that is pretty easy to spot and definitely something that they will need to clean up going forward. So we'll move on now and just it'll be a two for one for free. No extra charge. We're also going to talk about the Georgia Southern series that is also coming up this next week. Uh, Because it is not the back to back in the same place. It's not back to back days. There's a travel day in between. So the Eagles will come up to the sports arena on Thursday and Georgia State will make the trek down to Statesboro on Saturday. And this is obviously a different Georgia Southern team than we're used to because it's the first year for Brian Berg who take over, who takes over from Mark Byington who left to be the James Madison coach. Uh, they are currently 11 and eight. As of this recording, they will have played two more games before Georgia state plays them, but that is their record as of right now. And they are a team that they don't fill it up from three. They're shooting just under 31% from three as a team. They don't really light up the score offensively either. Just in, in general, they're shoot, averaging 73.37 points per game and giving up 67.53 points per game. So it feels like it's going to be kind of a reversal within the same week where it's not going to be the same type of matchup. It's not going to be the same thing where South Alabama has got a lot of guys. They're going to shoot it from three it's probably going to be a little bit of a, they'll still take their threes, but you're going to have to be physical inside as a team. That's going to force the issue on turnovers. They've forced 321 again, as of this recording turnovers as a team, which translates to just under 17 a game. Uh, so that is something that if it is the Georgia state that is lackadaisical and forcing bad turnovers. This is the one thing that this Georgia Southern team will do is make you pay for stuff like that. It's weird. Cause you know, you're right. This isn't the same. I feel like this matchup doesn't have the same luster that it usually has, you know, Southern is in a kind of a transition period and, you know, Georgia state is in a transition period from not playing basketball to playing basketball. So it should still be good, though. I mean, it's, you know, rivalry games. They're, they're always pretty competitive. And it, the thing is, is, it is a different team, almost literally. Uh, Elijah McCadden is still a starter for Georgia Southern. And there's still some other players that were on the team last year, but it was a whole roster makeover. Uh, there were some JUCO transfers. I think there was one D2 or D3 transfer that came in and some division one transfers as well. And I think the idea was for Brian Berg to, for them to get up to snuff fast and be competitive. And, you know, we'll see how that strategy plays out for them long-term, but what it means is it's not a, a team that's full of young guys taking their lumps. Uh, it's, they turn the ball over less than what they force, but still at a pretty high number at 14.4 points per game. But it's guys that have been there. It's not like Georgia state can walk in on experience alone or on whatever alone. It's not going to just be a team that's going to give you the game like that. And so I think, you know, we talked a little about this in our intro to talking about South Alabama, but I think there was a bit of a worry going into 
a game, a series against Georgia Southern where Georgia State hadn't played for weeks. So I think regardless of what happens in the South Alabama game on Tuesday, I think it is a positive that there is a game for this series because we don't really know what the season is going to turn out to be. And if all you can do at the end of the season is say Georgia State swept Georgia Southern in basketball, it's not going to be the same as getting a tourney berth, but it's still some bragging rights to hold on to in the state and um, would be worth points if the rivalry series was still a thing. Uh, but Southern's AD didn't want to have that fun anymore. Um, but I think that there was a little bit of trepidation with going in cold to that game. And so that isn't a factor anymore. And now it's just going to be, okay, can you get back into the swing of things all the way in one game on Tuesday, get a day off, host a team again. There's no travel involved after the South Alabama game and then be locked in as if you haven't had weeks off because it's a rivalry and you want to beat your rival. And aside from anything else with the season, that's just, you know, that that's what this series is about. Sometimes it's just as simple as you want to beat this team. It's also at home too, you know, like I know you said that there's no travel, which absolutely is true, but you know, I don't think that it can be overstated have the effects of, you know, having that layoff, having any game against South Alabama and then, you know, playing Georgia Southern at home. You know, there's a comfortability factor there that absolutely matters. So that definitely should factor into, you know, how the players feel and, you know, hopefully the performance that they have against Southern. Yeah. Get ahead of steam going in the two home games you have. Then on Saturday you go on the road, but it's not a long road trip. It's a, you know, it feels like forever going down that highway, getting to Statesboro, but you're not changing States. You're not playing two games in two days. So it feels like Georgia State's had a real rough go of it with all these cancellations and everything. But, you know, now you've got a thing where it's probably going to be three games a week until the tournament provided there's no more flare ups within the program or with the other teams you're scheduled to play. So, you know, make this momentum your own thing. You're going to this time. You're going to get three games in a week, but you're not going to ever play on back to back days. And in the future weeks, the schedule remaining the same, you will be playing on the Friday, the Saturday, like the schedule has been, but you know, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world for a team that's been out of action for so long to have some more games all built in together and kind of create momentum and get back in the swing of things that way. You know, you're just, you're going to have to make the most of the situation as it is. And I just, you know, that, that seems like, I, maybe playing three games a week for the rest of the time wouldn't be as bad as maybe you would have thought if you had been told that, you know, COVID aside, just in general, be like, there's going to be a stretch where your team's going to play three times in a week for weeks on a time. You'd, you'd think that's a bad thing just because that's not how the game is usually played, but <laughs> you don't usually go weeks without playing either. So maybe it's a time to, you know, turn it around. Yeah, honestly, it just means that, you know, that, that probably... Tuesday practice just turns into a practice that matters, you know, and obviously this is basketball, but we talked about it during football. When you get guys in a situation where practices matter and, you know, they're being intense, you know, that leads to better performance on the field. So, you know, if there's a game on a day that they would normally be practicing, I absolutely could see a scenario where, you know, they perform better than one would expect them to do given the layoff and the amount of games that they're probably going to have to fit in a condensed amount of time from here on out. Well, we will see how it plays out, but the prospect of three Georgia state basketball games look forward to this week after multiple times of zero, even on weeks when we were expecting to, this is just a good thing. Finishing the way we started this basketball talk, getting three games hopefully to talk about after how we had gone through weeks without it and for the players as well to get to finally play again basketball is good basketball is fun glad georgia state's getting to do the thing again yeah should be a fun time you know let's hopefully that that's the COVID is behind them and they can just have an uninterrupted rest of season from here on out, both on their end, plus, you know, all of their opponents that they have lined up in the coming days and weeks. 
And switching over to some football news, uh, second national signing day today, uh, just one new addition, a offensive lineman from Milton High School in Alpharetta, Cameron Dye. Um, do we have any thoughts, comments uh, on some of the new additions here uh, to the Panther football program during the offseason? So Coach Elliott, uh, they announced this and he did some press availability as of recording today. And the only new name that we knew was Cameron Dye, though he did talk about the transfers that we have talked about on this podcast <laughs> in weeks previous as they've been announced. And he also let it known that the spring practice was going to start on March 9th. And as of now, the spring game is scheduled for Friday night, April 16th. Uh, not any specifics as far as that goes. It sounded like he wanted it to be some kind of atmosphere that people could be at. So I guess we'll see what that turns into as we get closer to the date, but it sounded like it was going to be scheduled for nighttime on that Friday and to be some kind of event that I don't know, maybe at least families of uh, the team can be at. Um, And it was just interesting talking to coach for the first time since bowl season. Uh, First time we talked to him since we got the news that the nine seniors were coming back as well. And so I asked him about just how he's approaching the spring, given that the continuity is there on the staff and they're not replacing staff members. They're not learning any new offense or defense and that so many players are back. And he was like, we could line up in scrimmage and get 150 plays in on day one. And I don't know that we could have done that previously. Um, And so it feels like a real off season that, you know, erasing everything about the world as it is right now, it feels like a real opportunity for that next step. You've got the two winning seasons you're off the back of. You're returning so many players. You've got your staff still in place. It really feels like a real chance this off season and the fall camp to get ready for a successful 2021 season. It, it feels rather than just saying, maybe this is Georgia State's year, there's actually some empirical evidence to say, Georgia state's got a lot going for them right now in football. Is this where I just casually dropped that the number five recruiting class in the Sunbelt last season was coastal Carolina. And since today was the last signing day, Georgia state will end this year as the number five recruiting class in the Sunbelt. Because that's totally how that that casual. That was pretty unsubtle. Definitely. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to be a good class. It's, it seems like they coach Elliott has always recruited well for Georgia state. Um, you know, and it seems like he's got another good group of defense guys, kind of linemen on both sides of the ball. And it's, they've got some good transfers like you talked about. So it's definitely going to be interesting. And I mean, I can say I'm excited for spring practice and, you know, getting some eyes on some of the, the people who took steps up this year and see kind of where things evolve into next year for both, you know, guys like quad and, you know, people on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm excited. And I will say, I just want to add that one position group that I am really excited to see kind of the year to year growth and um, trajectory is the offensive line. So I'm excited to see, um, you know, how last year's performance uh, will affect this, you know, coaching staff's recruiting pitch for, you know, offensive linemen and stuff like that, because uh, by all accounts, um, you know, Cameron Dye is a, a good local prospect. And those are the kind of guys that if you're trying to get a footprint and a foothold here in such a hotbed recruiting area like, you know, middle Georgia, where we're in right now, um, the setting the tone and getting, um, you know, inroads to these programs is going to be really important for some continued success um, to be seen, especially in that um, in that aspect. I mean, so Shamarius Gilmore is coming back. He was one of the nine seniors who announced. And so barring anything weird, all five starters should be back in the positions they played on the offensive line this year. So I don't think it's hyperbole to say that this 2021 offensive line being the best offensive line in Georgia state history. I don't think that's an unfair expectation. I think that you can set the bar there just because of the way we've seen this position group grow since 
Coach Elliott has gotten here and with all the guys that are back and so much of offensive line play is just continuity and playing together. And it'll be the same five for two straight seasons and really talented guys there too. So, and that opens up, you know, uh, opportunities for guys bringing into bring them into the program, like a Cameron die that get to sit behind, learn the system, learn from experienced seniors, especially guys. Like you said, we're at the same starting five projected going to this next season, seeing and being a part of the, um, the kind of culture within that that's already been established and is being grown upon by the current group of guys that are in those starting positions is only going to be good for any recruits coming in to get to, um, kind of learn by osmosis of being around um, such a successful group of uh, position players that have had, like you said, like some of the best, um, you know, performances in terms of offensive line play we've seen in the program since, you know, the, since the football team started. So let's move on to yet another top five list bonanza. That's right. Because there's no basketball to discuss this week whatsoever. We decided let's open up the floodgates and let the people Tell us what they want to hear. So let's start off with Sid's question. He wants to know our top five sports video games. Before we start, I do need to let you guys know that the other day, EA Sports announced the return of EA Sports College Football, formerly known as EA Sports NCAA College Football. I don't know why they took NCAA out of it, but the game is returning, and uh, we don't know anything else about it. We just know it's coming back. We don't know exactly when, but that is good news to me, especially I think my disc on my Xbox 360 for the NCAA 14 game will probably wear through if I play it one or two more times. The amount of mileage I've gotten out of Georgia State on there is something. But uh, I want to hear what you guys have as far as your uh, top five sports video games before I give my take. All right, so I want to kind of break away from the mold here of just being like, oh, I like Madden, I like FIFA, whatever. So I'm going to go with, in no particular order, because it's hard for me to judge in terms of like ranking these one through five, but just sort of a five best all of sports video games in terms of games that I played the most growing up. Uh, Backyard Baseball 2001 on the PC. Absolutely. Game. What a great game. Pablo Sanchez <laughs> would be a, a perennial MVP uh, player in the MLB today. Don't, don't at me. Um, following up Super Mario Strikers on the GameCube incredible incredible solid road trip game uh that i used to hook up to like a portable tv that my parents would like ratchet strap onto the center console of our chevy suburban and on long road trips i would just hook up the gamecube to that little like eight and a half inch screen and play nonstop. um i'm gonna go with uh i don't want to get the the year wrong here the nba 2k with carmelo anthony on the cover Uh, That was my first like NBA 2K uh, or like NBA video game experience. I want to say it's 2007 off the top of my head without looking it up. So that's I'm going to go with that. Um, Do more after that, man. It's tough. I honestly don't play a ton of sports video games. Um, I'm going to leave the other two open uh, and I want to hear what you guys have to say, because I know you are the the rest of you, uh, David and Brady, might be a little more versed in the sports video game world than I am. Oh man, this is easy. Um, uh, okay, so I know that there was a caveat of not repicking the same sport, but I have to because they are very different games. Um, so I chose, and, and in no particular order, here's my list um, MLB 12, the show. Um, I picked 12 because I think that was the one I had the most hours in. Um, but I mean, it's just a phenomenal franchise. Um, I just really like all those games. Um, my favorite football game actually is NFL 2K5 with uh, Philadelphia Eagles Absolutely. Terrell Owens Absolutely. on the cover. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know why 2K. Well, sorry. I know why 2K doesn't make those games anymore, but it's dumb and they need to make those games again. Um of course, NCAA 14, how could it not be on there? I mean, it's a classic and they haven't made one since, even though they're going to. Um and then my last football game on here is Backbreaker, the mobile game. Um, I don't know if you guys played that, but I just I it was right around the time like the iPod touch was blowing up and it was just so much freaking fun to just sit there on the bus and play this ridiculously dumb and glitchy looking football game that had the weirdest mechanics and the weirdest gameplay. But I don't know. I had a ton of fun with it. Um 
And then lastly uh, is a Game Boy. I played the Game Boy version because I didn't have a GameCube. But uh, like Mario Tennis All-Stars, I believe was the name of it. Um, I had a ton of fun playing that. Um, So that rounds out my top five. Listening to you talk about it, David, I did figure out my last two um, to round out the list. So an update, I was the the game, NBA game I was thinking of, NBA Live 2005 with Carmelo Anthony on the cover. Nuggets Carmelo okay. Anthony to you. Um, of course, how could I have missed Wii Sports? One of the best sports games of all Taylor. time. Taylor, oh, I'm so glad you brought 100%. that up. Because I was going to roast all of you for not paying respect to the OG of the Xbox 360 PS3 Wii generation games. Uh, and to round it out, I'm going to go with, um, you know, what? I'll just include the recent remaster of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 mm, that they just yes. put out, uh, mostly for the soundtrack, if I'm being honest. So funnily enough, I was going to give a shout out to Game Boy Mario Tennis. That game. Oh, no way. <laughs> won't, I, I don't know if we're talking about the same one. I'm talking about the one where there's like a tennis academy and you're like yeah. working your way. Yeah. Yeah, that one. That's Bare, the one that I was talking I'm about. I'm not even like. My mom and my brother like tennis more than I do. I'll, you know, watch it occasionally, whatever. But for whatever reason, that game was just my jam back in the Game Boy Color days. So I was going to say that and expect that no one knew what I was talking about. But apparently me and David had the similar interest there. So who knew? Um, I also didn't really put a, a five to one list per se. Um, I will say that I'm also with David on NFL 2K5. Uh, you've got the top 25 games of all time mode where you do the reenactment of the different games. And it's also the I haven't gotten a chance to play it in a couple of years, but even into the years where I was well into the next gen and the 360, the gameplay did not for 2005 games stand out as really bad, especially as Madden and NCAA kind of didn't really innovate much anymore. You could look back at that game and it still kind of holds up as a decent gameplay. I mean, it's a little, the graphics aren't great, but it's actually a good football video game just as a technical, uh, you know, work of art, whatever. Uh, the best NBA game for me is the Jordan, Jordan one, 2K11, one with the Jordan challenge. Uh, I thought that was really cool that they just did all that and, you know, made a whole mode. I don't all think I made it all the way through is, that one. All those animations, except the animation models replaced with Jordan Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have you know, I did play two years of church league basketball and I was the center because I was the only person on the team above five feet tall. I was not good. Noted lockdown paint defensive anchor Jordan Crawford holding it down in <laughs> the, the under 12 church rec league. Another... Yeah, another game I logged a lot of hours on is College Hoops 2K8. Ooh. Is that the last one before those yes. twins from UCLA got yeah. all that stuff no, shut no, down? No. Yeah, yeah. Was well, that 2K9 was the last no. one? Because there was one as the So old there was NCAA basketball, I think, to the 09 and 10. And that was a different maker. wasn't as good to me. Um, college, 2K Hoop, college Hoops 2K8. Um, again, it was another one where the gameplay... If, you, if your uh, disc isn't too glitchy, mine, as the years went on, started to get glitchy where it was freeze or just like you could really game some of the defenses and just know a play was coming and steal it. Um, but it was really immersive, really deep. A lot of the teams and there was a whole online community that was, you know, updating rosters year on year. And so you could have the updated rosters a lot like they did with NCAA football with basketball. And it was a really immersive legacy mode. Uh, to do like a coach's career. And so I always logged way too many hours doing that. Um, And the current sports game that logs most of my gaming hours right now is football manager, which is soccer. Um, But it is the most immersive uh, simulation game there is out there. Um, You can just waste away playing that game and it's a lot of fun. And uh, really taught me a lot about the way that uh, soccer works in Europe, mostly the, the leagues there, because it's such a big deal there. Um, obviously, ending with a soccer one, it, I, I'm getting judged out there by listeners, I'm sure, but it's a really good game. Well, let me hit you gentlemen with a completely out of left field curveball that was going to be Wii Sports, but that's that's still on my top five list. We'll get there in a minute. 2001, I played 
hundreds of hours of a PC game called NASCAR Racing 4. It was oh my like, gosh, Jordan, <laughs> I've played the exact same game. Really? But the only way that I played it is I would immediately start, turn around and drive backwards <laughs> and then run into the like the cars oncoming. Yep. And the physics engine just didn't understand how to compute that. So it would shoot <laughs> all the cars involved straight up into the air. Taylor, and what if I told you that's exactly the, how I played the game? And the the best part was the announcers that are like, hey, Dummy, if you didn't realize you're driving the wrong way. Yeah, the pit crew chief. <laughs> you're you're, you're going to you get off. a black flag. <laughs> yes. Oh, a black flag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that game. Incredible. Man, man they don't I mean, make games like that anymore. They, I mean, they literally don't. They because they were now. games forever. <laughs> but uh, oh, God, what was the track? It was uh, I think it was called Sears Point Raceway at that point. The, the road course in California. And there's one straightaway you could get going really fast. And if you hit the embankment just right, it would like rocket you across the entire map and your car would just be doing flips in the air and it would hit the boundaries and it wouldn't let it. I I had a great time. You could make your own car and then it would let you edit the uh, the uh, what do you call it? The the character models. But when you open it up in like Microsoft Paint or something, it's all flat splayed out. So the guy's face is like eight feet wide because it, it wraps. It was, it was, if you've ever seen there's a, a YouTube series called Monster Factory. Taylor, I know you've seen it, mm-hmm. but anyone who's unaware it's uh, these. The, I think that's a group of brothers go in and just absolutely obliterate character creators and video games to make the most hideous, ridiculous people possible. But anyway, that's what that looked like. So that's definitely on there. That got a lot of mileage. Um, of course, NCAA 14, uh, I have the marching band CD that we put out in 2012. I ripped all the audio from that into my Xbox and put in at the time an accurate, uh, we played this on this down, this down when the defense came on the field, et cetera. So it was all completely accurate to the game day experience. It had the fight song. It had all this other stuff. It was really cool. And I think it's still should still be uh, good to go on my Xbox. I haven't played in a while, but for a for a while there that was a mandatory daily activity um as far as basketball goes i got a lot of mileage out of a a series i don't know that any of you guys would have played nba inside drive specifically the 2003 edition that was the first one i got for the original xbox and the character creator for that game was absolutely broken I had a guy who was all 99s because, of course, you're you're 12 years old. What are you going to do? You're not good at the game. You just want to make it. You want to make a do seven foot eleven. Like I want to make Mecca LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> well, LeBron hadn't even started playing basketball then. I don't think. Was that that's so disrespectful to St. Mary St. Vincent legend at the time, LeBron James, freshman and also probably still best player on the so, earth. So that would have been like, I think Christmas 2002 maybe would have been. When did LeBron come? He's drafted league? in the 03 draft for the 03-04 okay. season. Yeah, so that would have been pre-LeBron. So that was, of course, you had you had Kobe and Shaq on the Lakers. You had Tony Parker, Tim Duncan. Oh, God, you had all these like absolute legendary players and then here comes this guy I, I can't remember what his first name is but his last name i made dunk and he's seven foot eleven tall <laughs> 400 pounds 99 everything and this guy is just towering over everyone just goes and the, like the backboard does the thing where it bounces up and down like three feet in the air like oh yeah that was a lot of fun Oh, let's see. Jordan, is there any room for an honorable mention for the arcade game that was at every like uh, like arcade or place that had an arcade that you would go to with for dinner with your parents, the, the, uh, the driving game called Cruisin' USA. Oh, please. I loved that game. Cruisin' Cruisin Cruisin Exotica. Cruisin' Exotica oh, was the, the evolved yeah. version where you go to like alien planets and there's a school bus if you push the right buttons on the... And you like get to like drive underwater and you like oh, run over I like sharks and game. mermaids and stuff. That was that was a great one for sure. And there was also... Um, what was that golden tee, the golf one where the mm-hmm. only controller is just the white ball coming out of the nobody. Oh yeah. And you just like it. get the running start and try and see how fast you can get it to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I think the last one I'll touch on, of course, we sports as Taylor mentioned, uh, maybe we sports resort to change it up. Oh yeah. The, uh, the table tennis one is hilarious. And then there's, there's a really like, good video oh, on YouTube of a guy that does profiles on, um, like speed running, uh, for, uh, video games and like the speed running communities that pop up around these obscure games. There's a really fascinating video. It's like 45 minutes long about the, um, the speed running community coming around uh, or that built up around the Wii sports resort. And when you think about like what goes into speed running a golf, like Wii game, <laughs> Oh, it's nuts. 
It really, really interesting. If you're if you want something even more niche than we're going for <laughs> right now, I'd recommend checking that out. It's just absolutely nuts how they manipulate stuff. But uh, I think that everybody got at least five. Yeah. Then, right. Yeah. Uh, honorable uh, thing to mention in the I was never as in I was kind of the like I played it, you know, video games trade. I wanted to do serious. Um, my brother and my dad were a little different. Uh, I think the best one my brother ever did was in NCA 14. He created a uh, as short and as fat as the game allowed you quarterback who ran the yep. triple option called bowling ball. <laughs> uh, I got, I got incredible. That's oh, a I great forgot. name. There's, there's one, one more game. Uh, have any of you guys ever played the amped snowboarding game? Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolute classic. We had that on the Xbox of the church youth group at the time. Close just, follow-up is oh, SSX so tricky. Oh, what was that ATV game on the like original PlayStation? Oh man, is it is it Off Road Fury or something? I got, I gotta look. Uh, I know we're we're absolutely derailing this, but I I absolutely have to know. Yeah, Off-road I would Fury. advocate that we move on to the next question in yeah, interest yeah, of time. Two thousand one. Anyway, so yes, thank you very much, Sid, for that question. Next question from John. Top three to wear the number twelve. So we're we're gonna approach this from the uh, guys of Georgia State players, ostensibly men's basketball, given the context that this question was originally announced. So top three men's basketball players to wear the number 12. If uh, Devontae White's not on this list, you're wrong and you can go home. Friend of the pod. Yeah, he's a real cool guy if you ever got to meet him back in the day. But yeah. Yeah. So John had said five and, you know, just full disclosure, we're a full disclosure type pod. Three years of the best that I can, you know, other than just saying going through the archives and finding a person with who wore the number 12. And I don't know how they did stats. This wise, fourth but, string quarterback from five years ago, but, <laughs> like three snaps happened to wear number 12. He's my fourth favorite sticking to just basketball and guys that contributed, uh, Daryl Cooper, number three, he wore number 12 and he was on the 2001 tournament team, average double digit points. Uh, number two, for my sake, I'm going to go with, Kane Williams, which is no disrespect to Kane because he's been a great Georgia State Panther. Uh, now over a thousand points in his career. Until not making the tournament last year, had the chance continuing to be the first Georgia State Panther to make a tournament every year of his um, playing career because he had made it his first two years. Um, and number one, the number five scorer in Georgia State history, Devontae White, played from 2010 to 2014. Had that uh, pull-up jumper for mid-range that had working for him. Was really, I think, the perfect piece to complement RJ as he was growing in as a college player and what Ryan Harrow brought as the other main uh, ball handler on that 2012-2013-2014 team. Um, so those that was my list. I don't know if you're going to find anyone on this pod that's going to disagree with that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I've seen Devonte and Kane both play, and obviously Kane is still an incredibly, incredibly talented basketball player. But Devonte, why you, you you're not going to beat him? Not for a number twelve ranking, at least. That's the thing. I just don't think that there's enough breadth there in the number twelve category to really, you know, deviate too much from that list. Yeah. I can't even think of more than three football players, even if you were to expand it to that. And that would have been like a, a Bo Schlechter, the old school Panther talk crew know all about Bo Schlechter noted punter quarterback and uh, other things. Expert reveler uh, re- reveler. Yes. Let's say <laughs> that. And then uh, uh, the backup uh, Kirsten Harvey, I believe from uh, this past few seasons, third string guy. And then, uh, who can forget uh, Emir Scaife? Oh, of course. How, what how could have been an all-time had a cannon for an arm, just it never panned out into a full product at Georgia State. Super but nice really, dude, though. I took econ with him. Oh, there you go. Scaife was funny just because it was like the one guy that was like the first person where it was like, this guy's going to be the next guy after uh, Nick Arbuckle is gone, and it just never panned out. It was just one of those weird, you know, I'm sure in other programs with that are older than Georgia state, there's been so many of those guys where people following program have been burned by quarterback prospects before, but it just hasn't that op- happened that often for Georgia state. So thank you, John, for that question. Uh, sorry. It took us 
uh, what three weeks to get to it but yes uh Devontae white absolute undisputed best in our opinion to wear the number 12 for basketball and last but certainly not least mike from marietta wants to know our top five foods for a super bowl party when we're allowed to have parties again gentlemen all right so it's pretty simple the name of the game with super bowl parties is finger food you don't need anything like super big like burgers or anything like that it's just keep it nice and compact you gotta have a dip the beef wellington that i made for our super bowl party last year spanks to differ <laughs> okay that's fair because i'm totally joking cook. i did not do that that's ridiculous <laughs> all right number one dips your dips have to be on point you got to start off with some good queso i'll excuse spinach dip if you're you know lactose intolerant and you want something a little bit lighter but David, queso I have bad is a must. for you there is a ton of dairy <laughs> is there really spinach di- 100%. i don't eat spinach dip because i don't oh, like spinach so much, that much it's cream and all yeah cheese. heavy good, like cream but... cream cheese cheese butter right. like there's I, yeah <laughs> i guess you're screwed if you like if you can't have dairy then um number two personally for me is wings wings are so important at any super bowl function and you have to have a variety of them you can't just have hot you got to have lemon pepper got to have something sweet for those weirdos like the myself you got it's barbecue buffalo and lemon pepper are absolutely the three. that's the holy trinity anything past that, you get some jerk Maybe get a little teriyaki going, you know, different flavors like a mild and a hot bar, uh, buffalo. You know, there's there's room for for margins uh, to like play around in there. I would also posit it is good to have a variation of like boneless and bone in wings. Correct. And within the wing, the bone in wings got to have a good mix of flats and drums. Correct. I personally don't like boneless wings, but you definitely need to have those chicken tenders at your function. Definitely. Um, number three, chips. Chips are very important. You got to also have a variety of chips. You can't just be like Lay's or Doritos or something like that. You got to, you know, different flavors, definitely different flavors of chips. Um, so that's what three things. Fourth thing, um, I feel like people overthink the dessert, but I'm sure cookies or like cook the Super Bowl parties that I've been to that have had just like your regular Publix cookies or whatever. Like those always seem to do a lot better than people who like make those super extra like football inspired cakes or whatever, you know, like cake is good, but I I just think a simple cookie or something like that, like a donut or something is a much more concise and, you know, palatable uh, food option, if you will, for dessert or something sweet that you want to have when you're, you know, watching the game. Um, And then lastly, I think, I know it's not food, but I think a lot of what makes, you know, football parties kind of fun is seeing like a lot of like different two liters of soda. And if you're, you know, people aren't soda drinkers or beer drinkers, you know, just some sort of colorful drink. Like you can do like lemonade and, you know, raspberry lemonade, strawberry lemonade. But I think the, the nice thing about Super Bowls is just that assortment and that those vibrant colors in the drinks, you know, instead of just having like, Oh, here's a Coke. Oh, here's a Sprite, you know, mix it up, have like, you know, some Fanta, some crush, some, you know, get some, RC Cola or something. Make get some purple soda. I don't know. Just, this is such know, a make it different. It's just like it was like you cannot talk about alcohol when you give this answer. <laughs> <laughs> you got to work around work drinks. And I wasn't sure where you're going with that. You know, I was like, is he just going to say beer? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because I, I mean, I like beer, but I also recognize that when you're eating these types of foods, sometimes beer isn't great. Uh, I mean. Pretty unimpeachable list. The only thing I'd specifically say is the cookie cake with like the Super Bowl oh. logo or the team logos oh, yeah. specifically is the any sort of for cookie Super cake Bowl. you've already got me at the table. Yeah, I would say an improvement on just cookies would be the cookie cake. It I don't know why, um, but it's one of those things I just think of when Super Bowls are happening. I don't really think about eating cookie cake that many other times of the year. The so, only thing I'll add to David's list is when you mentioned dips. I don't know how we made it this far without talking about Buffalo chicken dip. I mean like that, especially knowing the people in this, in this podcast that we're talking about right now, I know for sure at least three of us have each individually made Buffalo chicken dip at one point for a football event. So that is a hundred percent gotta be the number one, uh, Super Bowl party food item, in my opinion. 
Absolutely. Jordan, didn't you make buffalo chicken dip for the 2017 yes. Super Bowl for the yes, Patriots maybe. Falcons? Yes. It was either that or oh. somebody else brought some. But oh my God, that was before I started working at Tacomac and my Super Bowl Sundays were absolute ninth circle of hell. We'll get to that later. But yes, the will buffalo we? chicken. Will we? Yeah, I don't know if we want to. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, it's, you brought up Tacomac and Patriots Falcons in the same minute. So <laughs> just the well, agony poured on. But I, I will say the uh, the buffalo chicken dip for me definitely has to be my number one. Uh, I do love wings, but, you know, wings are wings. You can get wings anytime, but n- nothing to me says Super Bowl like buffalo chicken dip does. To be fair, nothing to me says Tuesday in pandemic like buffalo chicken dip either. <laughs> that, that's that's very valid. There's, there's a lot of good uh, good ways to make it. I don't need a reason to start making it at like, 1130 p.m. on Tuesday. Tuesday. I haven't left my house in buffalo months. chicken dip at 1130 p.m. I've on lost Tuesday. control of my life. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah. not to derail a derailing. Uh, <laughs> I will. I'm looking at one article. So, the, you know, this number is just from. Oh, God, it's from Fox News. Oh, God. <laughs> so I put a guess out. What do you think the projected number of wings that will be eaten this Super Bowl weekend will be? Billions. A yeah, hundred million, maybe. Oh, isn't it? It's. Ah, oh, shoot! I used to know the number because they like they released like seventy like, percent of the, of the restaurant we all worked at. <laughs> That's true. This is I according think, like, to the National Chicken Council's annual wing report. Oh God, is that like the two minute report comes out after every Super Bowl? <laughs> well, what's, uh, what's, what's yeah, go for it, Brady. Hit us. David didn't hit. David was close. Uh-oh. It's it's got to be like saying an answer, and he's going to get it. Yeah, I think it was like seventy five million or Ooh, no, something under, like that. Way under. 1.42 billion. Ah, I oh my God. Billions. With a B. What? Good Lord. So while Buffalo chicken might be, dip might be what Jordan thinks of in Super Bowl, clearly America is still very on the wing party. That's, uh, I, I believe it. I mean. Although I do wonder how many bottles of Frank's Red Hot get bought Super Bowl week. Well, the last uh, time I made Buffalo dip in the same like month as the Super Bowl, Kroger was out. So that ought to tell you. So I think that just about covers everybody's pretty much in agreement there. So thank you, Mike, as always, for questions. Thank you, Sid, John, and Mike, collectively, for making this top five bonanza happen. Uh, Thank you, as always, to you, our listeners, for being a part of the fun. We'll be looking forward to seeing the Panthers back in action finally on Tuesday. And, of course, we'll give you all the details on the Tuesday game versus South Alabama and the Thursday game versus Georgia Southern in the next episode. But until then, that's all we've got, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.